Welcome to the Fast Lane. Nick Miles is our auto expert. So drop it into gear. You've got a green flag. Here's Nick. Boy, have we spent a whole week putting an amazing show together for you. Uh, this week, you are going to be wowed by uh, what we have in store. Uh, I, as you may have known, if you listen to the show regularly, uh, was fortunate enough, maybe it was unfortunate enough, uh, Gresham Police allowed me to get behind the wheel of one of their training vehicles and uh, do several maneuvers. We're going to find out all about uh, policing, traffic, and the streets. Uh, John Rasmussen is here from Gresham Police. He is their public information officer. We're going to get to talk to Stephen Tyler. No, not that Stephen Tyler. A completely different Stephen Tyler from Ford, who's going to tell us about the new 2020 Ford Police Interceptor. Perry Stern joining the show. He went all the way to Paris to check out the Paris Auto Show. And Perry will be on the phone. Uh, he, of course, if you're familiar with Perry, is the writer for MSN Autos. Uh, Dan Jones from Ford will be joining us to talk about a tragic event which happened this year. <laughs> uh, Nick was in Utah with Ryan Here's test driving the third person. <laughs> test driving the Edge, the brand new Ford Edge ST. Living and, life on the Edge, and I broke it. And he broke it. I broke the Edge. And they're going to tell me, and they're mailing me parts of the edge which I damaged. <laughs> they're sending the tailgate to my home. It's true Ken Block fashion to break something. Yeah. We went to the Hoonigan garage, and there's all these broken parts all over the wall. And, and I broke the like, new Ford Edge. I'm going to break some. I broke the Ford Edge. And Anton Wallman joining us. Boy, it's been a, been a week for uh, Elon Musk. How is that guy not in jail? <laughs> I, uh, I Honestly, he's he, he pulled his pants down to the SEC and basically said, you know, come and get me. Uh, on the escalation of nuclear war in the auto industry, I think he just went to DEFCON, whatever it is, one. Um, he just baited basically the people that can send him to jail. So we'll be finding out. I love how the news is just taken from Twitter now. It's like, we don't know what the president is said the news. Yet on Twitter yet. <laughs> the news is Twitter. Twitter <laughs> is the news. Uh, so that's kind of what's in store for the show today. Two hours of fun, locally created, nationally celebrated in the studio with us. Uh, Ryan is here and... Birthday girl, Jen. Happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, Jen, you are 20 what tomorrow? Yeah, that's good. We'll, 20, we'll just stay with 20 something. Uh, Jen has a big birthday. I, 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 we had a birthday lunch today. Yeah, it was McDonald's, but we had a birthday <laughs> lunch today. <laughs> there was a lot of people there. <laughs> they they weren't there for party. No. Yeah. They were asking for right. money. <laughs> no, don't go there. <laughs> don't go. Don't forget my Starbucks coffee. Oh, yeah, I got you Starbucks as well. If you had a double, now, now when it's Ryan's birthday, he's going to want both too. I'm, I'm not going to be able to win. So a few <laughs> weeks ago, uh, I spent a better part of a day out at Dallasport uh, Airport, which is just over from the Dallas in Washington State. Um, and I got to drive. There's about a million, just short. There's about 70,000 short of a million square feet of runway out there. And we got to drive this uh, municipal airport uh, with Gresham Police. And Gresham Police uh, took us out there and uh, showed us what their officers go through. And so we thought, well, we'd like to uh, to talk about this when we have the opportunity. So uh, Gresham Police are joining us in the studio today. Uh, John Rasmussen is here. And before we get started, uh, the first thing you, like twice in the studio, I've heard it today already. People ask you if you're associated with the dealership. You're not, right? I am not. <laughs> I'm super excited were. to be here and I wish I was. 
<laughs> Wish you had nice a to have BMW. the uh, BMW to drive around. Right? No. I right? Don't. Well, you know, in Europe they use BMW police cars. I'm not sure why you don't in Gresham. I will talk to Chief Sells <laughs> about uh, yeah. maybe transforming and uh, moving us over to that. First of all, a really heart uh, heartwarming thank you for a day of education and training. Um, one of the things I noticed is the absolute A-class spirit of the team out there. Everybody was so nice and so nice to talk to and really offering any helps and tips. And I noticed something really interesting. So we, you know, we were a bit shy when we first got there and Ryan and I stood on the sidelines. It was a bit intimidating. You know, you've got all these guys who are sort of uh, police officers and they're doing their, their training and, and what in this case scenario and that case scenario and there's a lot of book learning going on and we sort of come in <laughs> we pulled in Blair and the cops soundtrack <laughs> yeah, from, from, our, from our speakers in the car and we did a few Facebook videos I mean it, honestly it was it was a stellar day and to, to watch the officers do the training was actually really heartwarming to me because they were I think in competition-wise, when we do a test, everybody is like, I'm always like, I, yeah, that was great. That was a really good performance. I'm really confident. Those guys were like, I think I can do better. And right. I don't think I got it as as good as I, I could get it. I'm going to go again. you know. And there was this constant, like, I want to be really good at this before you pass me. There wasn't a challenge to try and pass a line. It was like, these are our peers out here with us training. So the attitude was like absolutely refreshing and amazing that all they wanted to do was get it absolutely right, 100%. So that was really refreshing. The other thing was there is some decision making out there on the, on the track, which I found very interesting. And that is uh, you have to make split second decisions and something you don't think about. You just think about this. Maybe I, I'm doing something over and over again to get it right. One of the tests is driving down in between two cones at 45 miles an hour, a row of cones, and at the very end, having to stop, to only break when you're told you can break, and having to stop before the end cones and then steer off left or right. And jokingly, when we're standing there with, uh, with the examiner, I said, why don't you just change it around? He's expecting to have to go left at the end. Why don't you make it right? And he goes, all right. <laughs> and so they threw them a curveball, and every guy got it right, one after the other. So that, so that test comes, like you said, about 45 miles an hour. Yeah. And that, they drop that sign within a split second of having to make the decision to turn left or right, just so the audience understands. It's, they don't see this from a ways off. This is done... Like you said, split second, split second decision right. on how you're going to turn, and, and you better not hit one of those cones. Yeah, I mean they, the, I'm not sure I would have the skill to do it. I did, however, get to do the pit maneuver, and I'm, I hope I'm not baiting something or, or asking for trouble. But it was really easy. Like I didn't think that it was going to be this hard to do. It was to me. There was a lot of stuff in this in that pit maneuver, which was. I mean, you, not that you're going to ever be in the situation, but I got it right first time. Um, and every, every officer got it right first time, which was pretty amazing. Uh, pit maneuvers, like, you will have very few chances to use it in your career, right? That is, that is true. So uh, PIT stands for Pursuit Intervention Technique, and it is something uh, that we use very limitedly and for very specific reasons, and that is always done to lessen the danger to the public and to the uh, people involved and 
ultimately to really lessen the property damage that might happen as well. All right, coming up, we're going to talk more about our time out in Dallasport and also what it's like to police uh, on the roads a city like Gresham. That's coming up as our auto expert continues. I'm Nick Miles. You're listening to our auto expert. I'm Nick Miles. A special first hour. We're talking to John Rasmussen. He is the PIO of Gresham Police Department. I got to spend uh, a day out in Gresham, uh, learning, or actually in Dalsport, Oregon. Washington, which is just over the border, and that is where Gresham Police do their training. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the training that officers do. So, uh, you know, the chances of using a pit maneuver we learned before the break is, is you know, very unlikely. John, I know that the training officer that we spent the day with out there had only done it twice in his career, 35 years. Uh, the, the likelihood is very slim, but you can't, you get one chance sometimes. That's right. You know, you, you, Keep that open as an opportunity to use the the pit maneuver to stop a uh, felonious fleeing vehicle that uh, is either committed to just a really horrible crime that has endangered or or actually hurt somebody or is about to. And so officers are trained uh, when to use it. There's always somebody monitoring that, some sort of sergeant or lieutenant, um, and then use it in a way that is going to be least uh, dangerous for the for the driver for the suspect for the officer and and obviously for the community and they look for uh, places to do that to make sure that happens correctly although the government website says there's 68,000 uh, police chases in the United States or failure to stops in the United States every year probably don't see many in a town the size of Gresham we see a number of failure to stops, and that's just changed over the year and, and, and over the years uh, as far as how we handle those. And we look at uh, governmental interests and uh, public safety uh, in a different light than I think that we might have in the past. And it's still something that uh, we do pursue cars and we do use pit maneuvers and we do use uh, different techniques, uh, tire deflation devices and such. But that's like all stop to, sticks. like yeah. stop sticks, piranhas, all to bring that incident to the safest uh, conclusion as possible. And, I mean, the reputation is you have a pretty good reputation for getting it right. Um, you know, the officers that we talked to had ever been involved in a pit. It was successful. That's right. And, and it comes down to that training that you were able to, to attend, that they do it over and over again to the point of, and you're spinning around. Uh, you, will, you will use the pit maneuver, and then that will be used on you immediately following uh, on the track, and so we've had officers pull over, uh, lose their lunch out the door, and get right, <laughs> right back in the conga line. I mean, maybe it's because I spend a lot of time driving vehicles, you know, on tracks and fast and those sort of things. And the, the challenge of doing the pit maneuver, once I understood it, it was very theoretical. Once the theory was in my head, it's not ramming. There's no ramming, absolutely no ramming Correct. involved, right? No. So it's getting up alongside the car just behind the rear axle, and probably the best way to explain it is get your indicator about the, the just just in front of the or behind the rear axle, and then half a steering wheel turn. It's it's very little input, and that's uh, uh, designed a lot so that we can predict where the car is going, and then also maintaining control of the police vehicle so that it's not veering across a roadway uh, as well. Yeah, and then and then the second part of the challenge was you as the pitting vehicle keep straight. And then the, the follow-up, the chase vehicles will then pin 
the vehicle that's been pitted against the uh, the wall, the barrier, wherever it may be, and and the officers will then jump out and try and disable the suspect at that time. Right, and make sure that uh, again, in, in in our metro area. Um, it's nice to be able at times to work with the neighboring agencies because everyone does procedures a little bit differently. So it's it's nice to be able at times to go out and have a better understanding of how they do things, show them how we do things, and come to a uh, a positive conclusion so that when we're on on these car stops together, that everyone's working in unison. And just in case you were ever thinking of failing to stop for the police. There is something I know in the area called mutual aid, and that means that all the organizations work together, and it's not when you get to the border of Washington State or Oregon State or a county line, they will come right after you. You know, in the uh, 70s and 80s, people grew up under Dukes of Hazard, where they thought that once they crossed that county line that uh, it all stops there, but no, we, we are, are sworn officers of the state of Oregon and can continue, and we have mutual aid agreements with Washington as well. So you guys are able to uh, basically just just go across into Washington State and then they'll take over the chase? Uh, potentially, and that has happened. And, and we do that uh, through radio notification and supervisor notification. And then uh, that is coordinated. And we had a case, uh, a homicide case that went up into Washington and the Washington State Troopers and the Vancouver uh, Sheriff's Office and Police Departments did an excellent job taking over that for us in their jurisdiction. So let's talk about what you drive uh, because, uh, you know, Washington State still uses quite a lot of uh, cars. Portland, you know, the city of Portland, Seattle, they use quite a lot of sedans. But Gresham has become uh, an all SUV force, which is very progressive. Yes, you know, this has changed over time. We we started out, uh, had Crown Vicks, and then we've moved into Dodge Chargers, and now uh, ultimately we're at mainly Ford Explorers right now. We do have some Chevy Tahoes. Uh, and... For our area, that just seems to work well. Um, as far as sometimes we do assist Multnomah County and in rural areas, so having SUVs for transporting uh, suspects who are larger in size, it can be helpful at times. And then we found too that, particularly with the Chargers and some of the souped-up Caprices, that in our city we don't necessarily need something that fast. Right, because you and you have two freeways. I think that. Was it one? Just one freeway? Really, just one. Yeah, just I-84 that goes through Gresham. Compared to California, who has Corvettes and Camaros and Mustangs as their police all over which, CHP because which, they need them. Yeah, but on, on long freeways people. outside of LA, but there's no reason that you're going to get over 15 miles an hour outside of LA. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, before today's show, I spent uh, quite a few hours on YouTube watching uh, pit maneuvers you know, done in real life to sort of familiarize myself with them. And the challenges are... There are a lot of challenges. You could see in a lot of videos of police chases that officers trying to use the pit maneuver, but you just, you have to have everything absolutely right. And, and quite a lot of situations is there isn't enough space. There isn't cars close enough. So you can pit somebody, but then basically they can spin around the wrong direction and just take, you got to have all the cars behind you. You got to be in the right situation. I mean, it's a lot of fun to do on on the runway at an airport, but it's in the real city life, pretty scary. It's it's a, it's amazingly fun to do, and I've been pitted in a car being pitted and in a car pitting at uh, up to seventy miles an hour. And if, as long as your platform is stable, you're it's a very uh, effective maneuver. But at the same time, we do look at speed and we look at location and we have all those considerations. And really, that first one is internal within the officer to remain calm. 
to be able to dispatch over radio what's happening, the location, let other officers know. And we train that if you're just not at that point uh, internally and you need to calm yourself down, that it's probably not the best time to do something like that. By the way, I've never driven in a car that had so much steel plating welded at the front. <laughs> I think it's probably an inch of steel plating times maybe four inches uh, wide. But it's, about like an an inch thick, yeah. it's like, it's like you have an I-beam welded around those Crown Vicks and still those Crown Vicks look like they have been taken to with a sledgehammer. Well, that's that's the training environment where we would rather uh, bang up those cars than uh, bang up somebody's uh, stolen vehicle we're trying to recover or or even even a suspect vehicle. It's just you know one more headache in the in the environment that we don't need. The challenges of of policing Gresham is something I want to get to talk at, but uh, talk about. But really, having an all SUV uh, force is very very unique, and the fact that now other Police agencies who or agencies who make police vehicles are starting to realize that uh, perhaps uh, their vehicle all their vehicles weren't to everybody's choice. Uh, obviously, Dodge just released their Durango Pursuit version this year right. because they've only ever had the Charger as a vehicle. So now there's a Durango Pursuit version, and other car companies uh, now starting to sort of build SUVs because. There are advantages. Not only is it really heavy and you've got lots of weight there, but also you're about a foot above everybody else. So you can you have a great line of sight as an officer. We do. And Chief Sells has been, like you said, progressive in that and, and making sure that we have not just adequate equipment, but very good equipment to use. And, and for me, even though I'm pushing 6'4", to be up in traffic and not down, um, it allows me to see further ahead, and we do train to drive in the future because you know that's really where you should be driving is to looking that quarter mile ahead to watch out for the people on the road and watch out for those other cars to make sure that everyone's safe. All right, we're going to find out about the uniqueness of policing a city like Gresham, and also holiday season is upon us, and that means that there are more impaired drivers on the road and more DUI enforcement. Yep, that's coming up in the next segment of our Auto Expert. Of course, you can listen twenty four seven online at our autoexpert.com more to come i'm nick miles start your engines and you're off back to our auto expert with nick miles if you want to check out our autoexpert.com tomorrow morning you'll be able to see uh, my time with gresham place that'll be posted up there and uh, me learning to do a pit maneuver which i am pretty say i'm pretty proud of uh, the fact that i managed to pull it off if only policing was the driving part i'd be right there at the front of the application line but there's all that other difficult stuff and brain stuff that gets involved in that. Uh, John Rasmussen is with us. He is the public information officer at Gresham Place. So holiday season is around the corner, and you corrected me before we got on air, and I, I didn't think about this. We used to call it DUI, but it's now driving impaired or in, impaired driving uh, because there's not just alcohol involved. Yeah, so DUI is uh, driving under the influence of intoxicants. So when we talk, uh, most people think of DUI as alcohol, but we really look at drug impairment, um, alcohol impairment, which is a drug, obviously, um, sleep deprivation, things that the, the threshold is the impairment piece. Obviously, alcohol is a 0.08 level for normal drivers and commercial drivers are 0.04, but you can be impaired and be under that level and, and still face uh, consequences. And really, that's because you can still hurt people. Well, there's a good point. I didn't know that. Just learned something. So 0.04 for commercial drivers. What 
what is a commercial driver? Someone with a commercial, with a heavy, heavy duty license? Yeah, anybody who holds a commercial license, and normally those are our truck drivers, uh, sometimes bus drivers and and, and whatnot, they are held to a a higher standard for the uh, commercial driver's licenses. Jen just wrote down CDL for me. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Jen. those guys, uh, obviously, and your your officers have to be more vigilant around the holiday season because there's a lot of holiday parties and celebrating that goes on. It's obvious with alcohol, we've had um, you know the breathalyzers, the mobile breathalyzers in the United States for many many decades now. Uh, there's been some form or other, um, but there's a new challenge with legalized uh, marijuana. Uh, now the new challenge is how does that work? Because there is sort of no breathalyzer for marijuana. Right. I know my understanding is scientists are looking at different uh, potential tests for marijuana impairment. There's no current limit like there is. And, and people like the tangible 0.08. I know when I'm 0.08, I'm above a limit. Uh, right now, officers, uh, my understanding with our traffic officers in particular, they have seen an increase in impaired driving from marijuana and other drugs. Um, and in, including fatalities and even in our, in our city, in our state. Um, so there are challenges and there are, there are different, uh, roadside tests we can do. And there's obviously blood tests and, uh, other means to do that, but it's not as easy. And, and it's not as easy for people to tell they're impaired when they think of, oh, I've had three beers and it takes an hour or so per beer to, uh, disseminate through my body. You know, edible marijuana is different than than inhaling smoke and stuff like that. So people are trying to figure that out, and uh, we ask that anybody who has uh, consumed drugs, legal or illegal, uh, that they don't get behind a wheel. Yeah, period. That's a really good piece of advice, and I think I would second that. Uh, is is intoxicated driving still a big issue? It is. You know, I, statistics have a hard time catching up to current times. So every statistic we look at is from a couple of years past, but you take something uh, from National Highway Safety Administration and looking back to a single day of July 4th, and I believe there was a 20%, 28% increase in DUI alcohol-related deaths uh, in that one day from, I believe, 2015 to 2016. So it is still a significant problem. And obviously, like you said, holiday parties, people are going out and having fun. And we encourage safe and responsible fun. That responsibility comes that you that you get a designated driver. And we help you by uh, telling you outright we will have more police on the road. Well, now with Uber and Lyft, it should not, you know, everybody has different options now. It's not just a taxi cab. That is true. There are so many different options. If if all your friends want to go out, definitely hire uh, some sort of use use your mobile app uh, responsibly and, and get a driver to take you home. I you know I'm a, I'm a big proponent of pre planning. If you're going to go out and you know you're going to have a drink, why don't you make a plan? You know, perhaps get a ride there and get a ride home. Or it's it's the if you don't have a plan. And you know there's alcohol involved, it's your own fault. I mean, that's my personal opinion. And party planners should have a plan too, and, and plan on uh, not just providing everything for people in the sense of alcohol or, or legalized drugs, but also uh, provide food and water and time and say, hey, you know, we're going to take your keys and we're going to help you make good decisions. And you used to be able to do the good trick of taking everybody's keys and putting them in a bowl of water and freezing it in the freezer so they couldn't drive. <laughs> so you can't do that with the electric key fobs now. Because you ruined the key fobs. Maybe when Ford's on the next segment, you can talk to them about yeah. the, a waterproof key. See? Well, I like your idea about a plan because I seem to always be the designated driver. 
And that means I never well, ever get to drink. Yeah, <laughs> so that's why I was insinuating like the Uber and the Lyft because the fact that people like me. Yeah, if you're a plan, if you don't, if you don't you plan, you, it's, <laughs> if you don't plan, it's your own fault. That's uh, that's that's what I say. Uh, so in the, on the holidays, do you notice uh, a lot more people in the cells for DUI? We do see an uptick. Um, we have our normal uh, everyday officers out there stopping impaired drivers. And then we also, through Oregon Impact and ODOT, have grants where we have extra officers on the road. And it's really, it's not a secret thing. You know, I think, I think sometimes people think we hide behind the billboard, but this is put out in, in press releases and talked about saying this is a high visibility enforcement. Even as an officer, I still get that jump in my heart when I see another officer and think, oh, am I driving correctly? So part of that is just, it's just presence. Um, John, I want to thank you for spending time with us today. Uh, if somebody is interested uh, in becoming a police officer and they're looking at Gresham, where can they find out more? They can go to www.greshamoregon.gov and there's a link for police. All right, you can sign up there. Thank you to Gresham Police Department. My heart felt warm thanks for letting me smash up your vehicles on the uh, pit maneuver. And also thanks uh, to John being in here today and the whole team. If you want more information, you have the website. And ours is ourautoexpert.com. Coming up next, we'll find out about the new Police Pursuit Explorer. Jump right in and put the pedal to the floor. Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles continues. Welcome back to Our Auto Expert. So here's the deal. We spent a few weeks out uh, in Gresham, Oregon, uh, talking to the police there. And then did the uh, whole police training course, which was uh, kind of fun for driving. And I got to pit maneuver a vehicle. And so we got to thinking after doing that, it would be fun to talk to some of the guys that manufacture these vehicles that some of the police departments are using now. In Gresham's situation, they are becoming an all-SUV uh, force. That means they're only going to have SUVs on their, their as their police vehicles. And they drive currently uh, Ford Explorers and also Chevy Tahoes. And I have to say, after driving both of them uh, police-wise, that I kind of prefer the Explorer. So 2020 sees uh, a brand new Ford Explorer coming to market. And so we thought we'd get the guy on the phone who has all the answers about that, who is Steve Tyler. Steve, first of all, tell me a little bit uh, about Ford's history with police vehicles, because you had the most famous police vehicle of all time, which was the Crown Victoria. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we came out with our first police package in 1950, uh, almost, you know, seven decades ago, the first um, manufacturer to do so. And, you know, we had our first interceptor engine, uh, which was a flathead V8 in 1951. Uh, and, and since then, you know, we've had a, a great variety of vehicles, including uh, the vehicle you mentioned, uh, the Crown Victoria Police Interceptor, which once was the standard by which all police vehicles were measured. But uh, these days, the needs of police departments have changed from just sort of pure weight and muscle to economies of scale, to vehicles that are more nimble. Uh, the Crown Vic wasn't the far, you know, wasn't the most nimble car to, to undertake a police chase in. So you really sort of evolved since the days of the Crown Vic into what you currently have as an interceptor force. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, our vehicles still go through the same testing. We still do reverse J-turn testing, we do median crossing testing, curb impact testing, 
water weighting. We do all the same tests, you know, that we did in the Crown Victoria. Um, and we believe that these vehicles are, are far better performing, as you said. In, in fact, our three liter EcoBoost, uh, police interceptor utility, um, just recently in Michigan State Police testing took all of the top spots with zero to 60, the fastest zero to 60, fastest zero to 100, fastest lap, faster average lap. And this is even competing against V8-powered sedans, uh, which are lighter vehicles. So for a uh, utility to take all those records and achieve a top speed of 150 miles per hour, we think is is uh, pretty good. With forces changing from sedans to SUVs, which seems to be the, the higher trend, have you had to sort of reinvent what you do with uh, designing and building police cars? Well, yes. I mean, we, we have a police advisory board of... 26 members from law enforcement agencies across the country. And we work very closely with them on trends and on what they need in a police vehicle. And they, you know, they take ownership in these vehicles like it's their own vehicle because they're out there to help their, you know, fellow law enforcement uh, uh, officers out there uh, to have the right vehicle for the job. And one of the things that we are doing going forward based on, you know, that input and what we've seen uh, uh, in the market is we're going with a standard hybrid powertrain on our police interceptor utility starting in 2020. Well, so uh, let's talk a little bit about that because one of the things that happens when gas prices fluctuate, it usually means that policing fluctuates because police departments only have so much money every month to to sink into vehicles uh, and vehicle running. Uh, is this going to make a huge difference, uh, hybrids in police vehicles? We think so. We think it's the exact right powertrain for the uh, law enforcement market. Because if you think about it, you look at police vehicles on the road, they're either driving or they're idling. And the reason they're idling is they have all kinds of electrical equipment on board. They have, you know, their lights and their radios and computers. And that if you have a gasoline engine, it has to run 100% of the time uh, to keep the battery charged to be able to sustain that equipment. With the hybrid technology, the engine can shut off all that equipment gets powered off the lithium-ion hybrid battery, and then it comes on intermittently to, to keep the battery charged. So we're seeing savings of 3500 bucks a year in, in for every police vehicle in an HD's fleet, and that's only at 275 a gallon. If we're looking at 450 a gallon, it's about 7000 bucks a year. And that probably means, you know, for every 20 vehicles you have, that's another officer on the street, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that, and that's one of the keys um, is, you know, if you're going to the um, uh, gas station less and fueling up less, you're going to be on the road more. Uh, so maybe it doesn't necessarily mean an extra officer on the street. Maybe the benefits of the hybrid help keep officers on the street, and you can use that money elsewhere in, you know, cities and towns and states uh, where that money is needed. All right, so let's talk about the the 2020 uh, Explorer. Uh, obviously, we know there's a new Explorer coming. There's a from the ground up. There's a new ST Explorer ST, and I just uh, spent a few days with the team driving the new Edge ST. Uh, so this this new Explorer, it looks like you are having you're getting ready to have a police interceptor on the vehicle that has a brand new chassis from day one. Yeah, so the 2020 is all new from the ground up, and you know, the police interceptor utility is a purpose-built vehicle. It's, it's based on the Explorer, but it really starts kind of with a base vehicle, and, and we engineer it specifically for police use, so it's a you know, very different vehicle than the retail Explorer. Um, and, you know, we found 
um, by putting all of the engineering in this vehicle that the agencies are requesting, you know, we're getting the results that, that you're seeing today. Tell me a little bit about uh, some of the, the testing of it. Do you actually put them on the street? Do you have them? I know that the Michigan State Police are a big partner of yours. You, you, they test a lot of these vehicles. Do they actually uh, take them out and test drive the pre-production models? Um, what we do, our engineering department actually goes um, to where the, the agencies do their testing. You probably know Michigan State Police and Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department do independent testing every year and it really started as a way for them to evaluate their own purchases and then they publish that information so other law enforcement agencies can benefit so our engineers go out to the tracks where these vehicles are tested by those agencies and they they do all of their testing ahead of time um they're making sure that the vehicle is engineered to do its best and 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 quite frankly i think our engineers have done a home run by making a large suv uh, beat lighter powered or lighter V8 powered sedans in, in testing. One of the things that uh, I, you know, when I was on this Edge uh, drive, the brand new 2019 Edge and the Edge ST, was uh, I was talking to Dan Jones, one of your PR guys, and, and Dan, fellow Brit, and I were discussing whether there would ever be an Edge ST and, and Dan, and sorry, an Edge uh, police vehicle. And Dan's like, probably not because the amount of work that goes into building a police vehicle is quite phenomenal. It's not just putting fancy brakes and, and a fancy engine on it. It's uh, it's really a huge amount of work, and the Edge is built for families, and we have our own uh, interceptor line. Is that interceptor line ever going to increase out of the Explorer? Uh, and uh, presumably you have a sedan available too. Yeah, I mean, in, in theory, it, it could in the future. Um, we don't have plans due to an edge or, or another vehicle like that because we believe the uh, current police interceptor utility, uh, based on the fact we have 52% of the market already with that one vehicle and we have 65% in total of the market, we think we've got it pretty well covered. And if you look at our range starting in 2020, we'll have the police interceptor utility, we'll have the F-150 police responder, and the police responder hybrid sedan. So we think we've got pretty much all the bases covered with those three vehicles. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, on, on the streets and the technology that you have. Now, there was an incident in New York where, uh, unfortunately, two uh, NYPD officers were, um, were attacked on the street where somebody came up to the vehicle uh, behind them. And Ford really noticed that, and you started to put technology in the vehicle, and you already have a whole lot, but technology in the vehicle, which really responds to current situations. So the, now the police officers are able to know if somebody's approaching from the rear by a signal, uh, their vehicle, to sort of protect themselves. Is Apart from having a beefy vehicle that can go fast and, and has a good economy to run, you're really loading these with tech, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we, we have a lot of safety features uh, in the police interceptor utility. Um, when you look at the DNA of our Ford police vehicles, it's safety always comes first, durability, performance, purpose-built, and upfit-friendly. And those are all the criteria that uh, we've been doing really since 1950. Uh, with these vehicles and, and some, some of the safety features are first of all, 75 mile per hour rear impact protection for our officers. The only vehicles in the world tested to that standard. The federal standard is 50 miles per hour, but we exceed that, uh, by quite a bit, uh, for these vehicles. And then we have ballistic, uh, door panels, uh, to protect, you know, in case an officer is fired on, uh, from the side of the vehicle. Uh, 
But the incident you mentioned from NYPD, which, which was a tragic incident, we, we do have technology that helps assist with that type of thing. Uh, a while back, uh, we came out with something called sur- our surveillance mode, uh, which used sensors in the vehicle that uh, would detect motion. And then uh, if motion was detected, the rear camera would come on, a chime would sound. Uh, if, if the motion uh, seemed to be, uh, if it continues, then the windows would roll up and the doors would lock uh, to help keep officers secure. And what we've done in 2020 was we've improved that quite a bit. We've taken that system. We've made it roughly a 270-degree uh, uh, angle around the vehicle or, or um, almost not a quite circumference, but 270 degrees around the vehicle. Um, and we've added algorithms in there that detect whether it's just a jogger running by parallels with the vehicle. And, you know, we don't want a false alarm. Um, it really has the capability now to detect threatening motion, uh, to, to go into action if, if needed. And it also gives a display inside uh, the instrument cluster that shows you what's happening behind the vehicle. So it's really a great safety feature uh, to help protect officers in that, you know, in that instance. Looking towards the future, uh, as autonomy becomes a reality for many Americans and cars start to have more and more autonomous features, how does that factor into building police vehicles? Yeah, that's, that's something that we, we talk about quite a bit with our police advisory board is different driver assist technologies, which are out in the market today, uh, which are kind of a you know preview of what might be coming on autonomous vehicles in the in the future, um, and one of them uh, is automatic emergency braking. You you mentioned earlier that you had learned to do a, a pit maneuver recently, and if you think about it, if you have automatic emergency braking on your vehicle, how how can you pit? Uh, how, how can you uh, you know hit another car and perform that maneuver or any other maneuver that's needed um, in the you know line of doing police work? And so we came up with something unique. Uh, we, we do offer automatic emergency braking on our police interceptor utility in 2020. And we have a temporary disable feature. So you can push a button and the police officer can do the work that's needed. And then that feature, you know, later will be activated next time the vehicle started. It sounds uh, highly exciting. I can't wait to, uh, to physically test it. I'm sure that you would be very happy to send me one to go do pit maneuvers in. <laughs> when the new 2020 <laughs> arrives. <laughs> well, maybe not, but... <laughs> if you're listening from... Uh, if someone is listening from a police agency and wants to find out more about Ford's uh, program of uh, police vehicles, how do they find out more? Uh, we'd just ask that they go to FordPoliceVehicles.com. Uh, that'll take you to the main uh, police interceptor page. Uh, there's links there to our other vehicles as well. And they can click uh, the the banner... That'll take them to the 2020 page. They can uh, see everything we've talked about today. Plus, they can look at our savings calculator, and they can see how we calculated that $3,500 a year in fuel savings. And they could run a scenario for their own agency as well based on how they use the vehicle. Uh, Stephen Tyler, thank you so much for joining us from Ford to talk about the new 2020 Ford Explorer Police Interceptor. Stand by. I have something really good for you next on our auto expert. Our auto expert continues. Here's your host, Nick Miles. Nationally uh, acclaimed radio show. I'd like to believe that. That's what they, they've written down in front of me. Uh, welcome to our auto expert. Ryan is in the studio. Jen's here and Megan is here. Uh, we've had a, a fun and exciting week, week, I think, uh, doing lots of fun stuff, being on events. But 
It is surpassed by the fun and exciting week that Perry Stern has had. Uh, Perry, you spent the week in uh, in Paris, or you know, you're back home now in in Seattle, but you were in Paris. And uh, first question I have for you is: Did you eat frogs' legs? I did not eat any frogs' legs. Good oh. for you. All the frogs there are still safe. <laughs> okay, but you did see some fantastic new cars, right? I did. It was, you know, the reason to be in Paris last week was it was the Paris Motor Show, which happens every two years. And uh, we always try to get out for that. And there's always some pretty entertaining cars there. And this year was no exception. All right. So run us through some of the, 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 the things that you got to see. I think one of the, the one of the things that was making big news was the fact is there is a new BMW 3 Series. Exactly. That was... Well, it may not have been the flashiest of the cars at the show. It was definitely the biggest news. Uh, so this is an all-new 3 Series, next generation. Uh, it's lower and wider. It's going to be stiffer, you know, which for anyone who knows, you know, driving a, a sports sedan, that's a good thing. It's going to be a lot more fun to drive, most likely. And uh, it still looks like a 3 Series. It, you know, it's got different uh, headlights. It has the typical BMW kidney grill, but it's a little bit different than the past one. Uh, so you'll notice some differences in it, but it's still clearly a 3 Series. Uh, the, one of the biggest pieces of news is well, not what, what was at the show, but what wasn't at the show. Because uh, just like Detroit will have this coming or next year, the Detroit uh, North American International Auto Show, a lot of manufacturers have decided to stay away. Yeah, it was it was a little strange and a little quiet. I mean, so car companies like Volkswagen, uh, which is, you know, it's huge in Europe, let alone here, uh, was not at the show at all. Uh, no, none of the American brands were in at the show. Uh, no Alfa Romeo, no Fiat, no Rolls Royce, no Bentley. Uh, Lamborghini was represented by the local Paris dealership. Uh, so it was a little strange because this used to be one of the biggest international shows in the world and uh it was a little soft this year you know despite but, the fact uh, you know despite the fact that uh, uh you know some people stayed away the news out of the show was fairly solid there was a lot of stuff that was introduced which is on a world basis i mean obviously there's a lot of french stuff that we're not going to see in the united states like persian citron uh, but uh, there was quite a few national cars there, but mostly the Germans are using Paris to show off their cars, like Audi and Mercedes. Exactly. So we had you know, the Audi e-tron, which made big news a couple weeks ago. Uh, it is their first all-electric uh, crossover SUV. Uh, same time, Mercedes, uh, crossed, crossed the hall, unveiled the EQC, which is their electric uh, SUV. Uh, which is interesting that everyone has gone the SUV route following the Jaguar I-Pace, which is uh, shockingly the first on the market and actually going on sale about now, I believe. If you don't uh, count Tesla. So yeah, if you, you, from, that means you don't count Tesla, right? Tesla's already out. And Tesla, <laughs> right. as big as they've gotten, is still not mainstream. Right. Yeah. I, um, that would always and, be my so, argument. Uh, Jaguar. Yeah, Exactly. But, you know, in addition to that, some of the coolest stuff was Ferrari. So Ferrari, you know, always brings great stuff to the Paris show, and this year was no exception. Uh, they introduced the Icona series, which is going to be a series of vehicles that are based, basically feature um, styling that's based on original cars from the 40s and 50s. In this case, 
based on race cars from the 40s and 50s, but it's all modern running gear underneath. So these are open-top cars. You know, no, they don't even have windshields. Uh, these are, are proper, you know, they look like concept cars, but they are actually production. You can buy them if you happen to have the means and the permission from Ferrari, which probably... You know, most of us don't have either of those. <laughs> so do you have to uh, apply they, to get one? They're putting out more than 800 horsepower. What was that? Do you have to apply to get one? What do you mean permission you from Ferrari? Typically, <laughs> typically, you have to already have some of their special series in order to get any more of their special series. Uh, quite uh, simply, Megan, more, more money. sold out, but I'm pretty sure they are. Right, more money than any of us have, probably, okay, to buy that, the car. Got it. The, I, I <laughs> yeah, noticed... So it, Jaguar are doing the same thing, Perry. They're they're doing this electric Jaguar E-Type. So if you've always wanted an E-Type Jaguar, you've not been able to have one until now. But now the new one is electric. Exactly. It's it's a. Uh, it, I think they refer to them often as a continuation series. So where the Jaguar looks like the original E-Type, these Ferraris look like modern cars, even though they're kind of based on those original Barchettas. Uh, and of course, these have you know six and a half liter V12 engines in them, and uh, put out almost 800 horsepower. So, a uh, little more powerful than those originals. I, you know, nowadays I feel bad for loving V8 engines. A V12 engine is just boom, really big. I can't get past the no windshield. Right. Yeah, that's the other thing too. You have a V12 well, V12 engine, Perry, and the no windshield. I mean, that's a lot of bugs in the eye. Well, they apparently have designed the bodywork so that it technically uh, or theoretically deflects the air over the driver. But I'm thinking you need the helmet and the goggles to go along with this thing. Yeah, that's and the air, not the bugs, though. <laughs> Do they think about the bugs when they're building it? Yeah, uh, those and are, the rocks. Those are an added bonus that you get. Right. <laughs> uh, what was your favorite car that you saw at Paris? Actually, it was a Peugeot. Uh, Peugeot unveiled this concept car uh, that is based on the Peugeot, I guess it's the 504, which was an older uh, coupe from the uh, 60s. And this thing, just it looks retro, but completely modern. Uh, you know, definitely take a look if you have a chance. It's called the Peugeot E-Legend Concept. And it was my favorite car of the whole show. It just looked fantastic. They'll never build it, but it looks great. Uh, if you were If you were to buy a car... That you know, that's obviously a concept and probably wasn't available. But if if there was something out there that would be available, what would you think about uh, buying one of the cars off the floor of Paris? Well, you know, the Ferrari four eight eight piece to spider is not such a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're assuming we're you know, I can't afford any of the cars I saw in Paris, so I might as well just dream big. <laughs> Perry Stern, it's always fun having you on the show. Thanks for giving us a snapshot of what was going on at Paris. Uh, if you want to read more of Perry's stuff, you can do that at msn.com. Uh, he, a lot of stuff there, a lot of interesting stuff and exciting stuff that he writes about. And I, I just pulled up that Peugeot. Boy, that, that's a retro car that I'd have in my driveway. It uh, looks really cool. More stuff at OurAutoExpert.com. Come up next and find out how I broke a Ford. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is on the way. It's Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles. Uh, welcome back to the show. We've been teasing this for the whole show, actually. Bit of an embarrassing story, really. I managed to break a brand new Ford ST, uh, Ford Edge ST. 
It's it's a it's a pretty amazing vehicle. And joining us on the phone is Dan Jones. Uh, he is one of the uh, PR members of the team. And and I should warn you, before Dan chats, he might have a similar accent to mine. A little more refined, but he might have a similar accent. Uh, Dan, how is the uh, the Ford Edge ST that I drove the other day? Is it is it in one piece? Uh, it's not in one piece, Nick. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, um, in fact, we've we've currently packaged it up and put it in bubble wrap, and it's going to be winging its way to you across the, <laughs> across the country, so you can put it on your wall. I think. Yeah. Did you guys all sign it for him? Did you all sign it? Yeah, we're all gonna we're all gonna sign it. We're gonna thank <laughs> Nick for breaking a piece of one of our new cut uh, cars, awesome. and uh, hopefully put it prior to play. I tried. I have to tell the story really quickly because it's a long story, and I don't want to take up the whole show just just talking about. It. Basically, Ford had a great challenge with the new uh, launch of the Edge and the Edge ST, and the challenge was to do an autocross. Uh, it was sort of a, a lap around a track that they'd created in a parking lot in Utah, and part of the challenge was halfway through the lap, or when you made the first lap, you pulled it over into a sort of an off section. You opened the tailgate. You had, and which is. You know, something you have to push buttons and unlock doors and take seatbelts off. I mean, it's not just a natural thing that you're used to doing under a timed environment. Then you had to open the trunk, put in three packages, and uh, and then drive another lap through a beam, and then you got the fastest time. So when I started, I think the fastest time was a minute 26 seconds uh, when I did the autocross. And uh, I'm a little competitive. Just, though, the prize, I should, yeah, I should mention the prize. The prize was... Uh, I don't know how tall it was or how much it weighed, but I, I'm going to guesstimate here it was like an eight-foot-high bear. Is that right, Dan? A bit higher, yeah, a bit higher. About 12 foot tall. It was oh. the, same, um, the same bear we used in the TV commercial. Right, so so a 12-foot-tall bear. A bear? Teddy bear. Not a real one. Oh, maybe. <laughs> I'm picturing like a stuffed bear. I'm like, what no, in the world? No, like a teddy bear. The one from the okay. commercial. Yeah, I know you're very familiar with it because you saw the commercial. So a bear, and you know, I'm, there was a lot of people there that wanted to win it for their kids and this sort of thing. And, and it wasn't so much the bear because, like, if I'd won that bear, I have five dogs at home, and that would have been that. Why are you pointing at yourself? Because that would have been the perfect, you know, Christmas birthday present for you. <laughs> Christmas too. <laughs> No, I should have won it down now because I'm getting dirty <laughs> stairs all across the studio here. So uh, I've done autocross with you and it was horrible. So I can only imagine what this was like. I'm just, I'm just feeling like really grateful right now that I wasn't there. <laughs> I wish Dan, Dan probably thinks he wishes I wasn't there too. Anyway, so <laughs> we did this and then halfway through, I pulled over into the labor and into this sort of pull off. I opened the trunk and put the boxes in. Well, I didn't do a very good job of putting the boxes in because they were, they were made to be difficult to put in like you had to stack them in a certain way to get them all to fit in just to show the space that was available why are you staring at me you're kind of a small guy is that tough like manhandling all those boxes i was no there was just there was no the challenge it was a funny it was funny watching it from the sidelines for sure did you Uh, video it yeah i think there i got a video today i haven't got the guts to watch it (laughs) but they sent dear nick here's your video of the autocross and i'm like i'm not watching that uh, so oh, I want to see that. So I slammed. I when on tailgate went down. I thought the tailgate had was like not shutting properly, and I put my hands on it and started to ram it down, and realized like after two or three tries that the box was sticking out. I thought, well, if I keep ramming it down, it'll just shut anyway, and and I'll you know I'll do it. Well, I didn't just crush the box. I also dented the tailgate 
enough that Ford had to with take your it bare hands. With my, ba- my, with my bare hands, <laughs> and uh, Ford had to put a new tailgate on a brand new edge. And then I tried the old excuse. We to, yeah, we, we 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 brought out the dent guy, and he he fixed that same tailgate that night. But uh, it wasn't it wasn't a big disaster. I just want to say this is not a problem with Ford tailgate. <laughs> it's a problem with Nick. It's, I, it's a Nick. Oh, thing. we know. It's okay. I tried to say, well, I'm glad to help you find fault with the tailgate. At least the chief engineer said, well, it is the same tailgate that we've used for three years, and there's never been a problem with with thousands and thousands of customers up until you, Nick. So <laughs> anyway, I always knew you were special. I did, I have I, I have the result being. I did get the time from 1 minute 26 down to 6 seconds, but failed to win because in the preceding wave, somebody managed to get under a minute. So yeah, Who was it? get the car parts. Who, uh, about the who beat you, Nick? I am not giving them any airtime. No, I'm not giving them any airtime. Dan, a brand new Ford Edge and a Ford Edge ST. Uh, why, should, why is this uh, significant for Ford? Because I've never seen... I'm answering my own question here. I've never seen a Ford <laughs> Edge ST before. Is this the first time you've had an ST SUV? Yeah, I mean, the first thing to realize really is um, is Ford's SUVs are, are kind of undergoing a really big transformation. Now, we're, we're seeing people shifting from cars to SUVs all across the country, and uh, in response to that, we're, we're expanding our lineup two ways. So the first way, we're going to be expanding into on-road performance vehicles like the Edge ST, uh, followed by the Explorer ST, which is going to arrive uh, very shortly. And then uh, the second way is really expanding into but genuine off-road vehicles. We've already announced the Bronco is coming, the return of the Bronco that everyone's uh, very excited about, and a brand-new, yet-to-be-named, uh, small off-road utility that's going to be coming uh, around the same time as well. So we're expanding our lineup into those two new areas. The first one uh, to arrive and the one that you test drove uh, last week was the uh, was the Edge ST. It's the first time we've applied the ST uh, magic onto a, an SUV product, and I think you'll agree it was... Uh, it's really fun to drive. I would own one. I have to tell you, it was it was very uh, very fun to drive, very dynamic, very sporty. Uh, you also um, there was recipe for disaster, which didn't happen. Uh, but you gave us some of the most winding roads I have ever driven in my life, up and down the hills, and the most beautiful, by the way, hills uh, outside of Park City, Utah. And uh, I I may have done the route multiple times because the roads were so much fun. But I'm sure I wasn't the only one. No, I mean I mean Utah this time of year when the leaves are turning and the fall has arrived is just stunning. Anyway, uh, we found some beautiful roads. You know this thing can really handle in the like twisty corners as well as the long sweeping bends. So it seemed it seemed right to bring you guys out and to, to put you on some of the best roads. And of course, customers uh, of the Edge and, and uh, Edge ST, they're really these young professional couples who, you know, they like the space um, um, of, of doing, uh, having things in the back, for example, having having dog cages or buying lawn mowers or tr- taking trips to Ikea, uh, loading in boxes without damaging tailgates, that sort of thing. That's our, that's our customer. <laughs> Oh, that makes it sound like I may be not your customer. I don't know. <laughs> I the the two ladies in the studio, Megan and and uh, Jen, uh, they're looking at me like you got to drive it and then you broke it. They're giving me the dirty looks. Uh, when does the Edge and the Edge ST go on sale? And uh, do we have we have money? We're we talking prices yet? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's on sale now. You can uh, you can head head over to your nearest uh, Ford dealer and, and check one of these uh, vehicles out. Not just the Edge ST, but 
also uh, the, the regular edge without all of the, uh, the sportier uh, uh, pieces to it. Uh, the, the regular edge starting at 29995 uh, and then the, uh, the Edge ST starting at 43. So uh, um, if you really want that performance, you know, the Edge ST is a, a short jump out of the existing Edge Sport. If you, uh, if you want to upgrade the regular Edge with loads of standard new technology and uh, Wi-Fi in your car, and Copilot 360, our, our standard suite of driver assist technology, then you can get in for under 30 grand. Final question for you, Dan. Am I ever going to be invited back on a Ford event? <laughs> oh, Nick. I'll take his place. On my list. I mean, uh, <laughs> I've got to say, the next, uh, the next 12 months for us is, uh, is going to be busy. You're going to have uh, many, many invitations coming into your inbox. Now, the company, we've got uh, new SUVs, we've got... A, <laughs> We've got a new GT500. We've got a lot of exciting things coming. So, uh, all right. Uh, well, thank you for sort of forgiving me for for breaking your new Edge ST. I, I, forgive, so, I forgive you. It, it was a really nice car before I got to drive it. <laughs> Afterwards, it had some new shapes and sizes. So, it was, uh, you know, it was fun. Uh, Dan Jones, of course, you can go drive the uh, new Edge, do test drive the new Edge ST at your Ford dealership right now. Uh, Jan, thanks for spending some time on the radio with us today. Coming up on our Auto Expert, we're going to get a talk to the guy who's uh, is a little bit crazy, but he has all the answers. How is Elon Musk not in jail? That's what I want to know. He baited rich. Well, he baited the SEC this week and basically said, come and get me if you can. We'll find out all those inside stories and we'll find out exactly what's going on at Tesla Plus. New emission standards in Europe. More Auto Expert with Nick Miles is on the way. Welcome to the Fast Lane. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. Of course, you can reach any of our articles that have been written or any of our radio shows or any of our TV segments at ourautoexpert.com. Just check on online and uh, go to the website. You can also follow us on social media. We would be very honored if you would... Uh, Become a, uh, a friend of the show by uh, clicking on Facebook, uh, Twitter, or on Instagram. Uh, we'd like to be able to message you back. And if you have car questions, that's probably the best place to go. Uh, it has been a pretty crazy week as far as what's going on in the automotive business is concerned. And this is the point of the show where we have our automotive independent investor and analyst join us, Anton Wallman. Um, Anton, I don't know how we are not going uh, to, well, I don't know how we're going to talk about anything else but Elon Musk in this segment because um, he basically baited the SEC this week with, uh, after he'd made an agreement with them over some of his uh, recent tweets, uh, he basically said, come get me, didn't he? Yeah, you remember a week ago, we were fresh off of a settlement where the SEC settled between him and the company, and it took him less than a full week to get very trigger-happy with his Twitter finger and do something which was probably very well ill-advised. To reference an analogy, let's say that you're driving around in your lovely automobile and a policeman stops you. And he looks through your trunk and he founds uh, 100 pounds worth of cocaine in your trunk. And But he says, you know what, sir, this is your lucky day today. I'm going to let you off with a $20 speeding ticket. 
Now, at that moment in time, this was on Thursday afternoon this week, Elon Musk does the equivalent of jumping up on top of the cop car and defecates on it while screaming obscenities. <laughs> so, uh, I saw know, something in like my that happen. Humblest of all humble opinion, this was probably an ill-advised move. If you are now awaiting, as he does, a word from the judge who is set to approve this settlement hopefully if he could possibly uh keep it to himself to uh contain his anger and judgment for at least to this upcoming thursday but no he could not so what are the chances now of elon going to jail they significantly increased since since last week well, there was no uh, jail, uh, anything that was going to come out of this. What happened is that just a couple of hours, probably the triggering event for him going off the rails, was that the judge asked the parties, namely the SEC, as well as Elon Musk and his lawyers, as well as the company and its lawyers, because they are, in this case, separate defendants, basically, to uh, produce to the judge in New York uh, by Thursday the 11th, a up to 10-page double-spaced typed memo as to why the parties consider that the proposed settlement is, quote, reasonable. And, uh, you know, they're, they're going to have to agree on some text there. And now in the meantime, Elon Musk goes out and basically says that the SAC is really, really bad people. And uh, is that really how you're going to approach the situation? So we just don't know at this point whether the SEC is going to take this opportunity to basically squeeze him really hard in this negotiation or whether they are going to let it slide. I mean, by any normal judgment, you would think that when, when, and when somebody calls your mom a bad things, uh, you are probably not going to let it slide. But uh, we have a few more days to find out. So the SEC traditionally don't move very fast. Uh, they take quite a while to sort of make decisions. Uh, they're not the sort of an overnight respondent usually to these situations because they have to have all their facts ready to go. Uh, this may have baited them into reconsidering their position, but they're not the only people with skin in this game. They also, Department of Justice, have skin in this game, and usually the SEC and the Department of Justice work hand in hand. The possibility is there right now because the uh, Department of Justice hasn't made any uh, statements about what they're doing with this situation. The possibility is that there could be more coming from the Department of Justice to do with some of Elon's latest activities with and without social media and with share buying. It could be uh, a lot worse for him coming up. Yeah, I mean, we simply, as you correctly pointed out, we simply haven't heard from the Department of Justice beyond uh, what was some leaked... Um, information about two and a half weeks ago that they are having some sort of open investigation but they have been otherwise completely mum about what is going on and exactly what they are looking into here uh, do keep in mind that within hours i think it was a few hours after as opposed to a few hours before his outburst on the twitter on the late thursday uh, Elon Musk went out and hired a whole bunch of new lawyers, really the best criminal defense lawyers in the country, that specialize in two very specific topics, uh, accounting fraud and securities fraud. So let me think. Um, 
what might concern you in life if you are going to go spend an ungodly amount of money locking up the highest, highest, highest powered attorneys on the totem pole that specialize in accounting fraud and securities fraud? Um, maybe, just maybe, we can read into what a conflict might consist of somewhere uh, behind the scenes. All right, Elon Musk, uh, uh, plenty of troubles, but there's not the only news coming out of Tesla. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the fact that Tesla has to come up with significant amount of money towards the end of the year to refinance. The fact is that they have loans due and the company needs money by the 31st of December. We're going to find out about that. Of course, if you want to follow any of these conversations, you can uh, follow them on ourautoexpert.com or Anton Warman, his articles are uh, online as well. You'll find out where they are coming up. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is coming up. It's Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles. You can read his stuff at Seeking Alpha. Uh, Anton Wallman joining us on the phone. Uh, Anton, we're talking about Tesla. We're talking about Elon Musk. Um it looks like there may be some possibility that they could exist past December the 31st because they need a serious amount of money. Yeah, so what's going on is that Tesla has a number of uh, debt payments coming up. They have a little over $200 million coming due here in the beginning of November. They have another $920 million coming due at the end of March. And that money actually has to be in the bank by December 31st for the agreements. So the issue here is that we uh, last week, you know, on a Saturday afternoon, we heard about the settlement with the SEC. This Saturday afternoon, we got a very interesting piece of potentially breaking news from Charlie Gasparino. He is one of the most experienced uh, um, reporters on Wall Street who uh, has worked at the Wall Street Journal. He's uh, reported for the CNBC. These days he's at Fox Business News. But he has spoken to a lot of the bankers that seem to be pitching Tesla ideas for how to deal with a situation where they're simply not going to be able to pay back uh, the outstanding debts that are coming due. So the idea would be that they would be willing to infuse a net of $5 billion into the company. Uh, essentially, it would be a form of a short sale, uh, to put it in homeownership terms. So, for example, today, Tesla has about $10 billion worth of outstanding debt. They would essentially find a way to refinance that and put that under their own wings and then add another $5 billion in fresh debt capital to the company, and the idea would be that they believe that as of today, the company would be worth about $10 billion in a bankruptcy, and you add $5 billion in fresh cash on top of that, that basically means that the enterprises would be worth uh, $15 billion. But that, of course, leave, leaves no money for the equity holder, so essentially the equity would be worth zero. That's why I'm saying it sounds a lot like essentially a short sale. The bank takes over your house. They don't declare you bankrupt. They just take the house from you, basically, and then they have somebody come and fix it up, paint it up, or renovate a few minor items, and then they either uh, put it on back on the market or they uh, or they lease it out. So um, that would be the proposal that he is describing in terms of his conversations with many of the banks that are allegedly here pitching Tesla as to how to just avoid a Chapter 7 outright bankruptcy. 
And also, if the share price dips below $360, they're saying that he could be on the hook for $1 billion in convertible loans due this spring as well, right? Yeah, so that's part of this, right? So what happens is that the the convertible that comes due at the end of March, which is $920 million, uh, if the stock uh, has traded for a certain period of time before March 31st at an average price of higher than $360, then you can settle that loan in by issuing stock. But if it hasn't traded at an average of $360 for a certain period of time leading up to that moment in time, then you essentially have to cough up the cash. And right now, of course, the stock is at about $100 below that level. And uh, so the, the, the company is looking like they're going to have to cough up the cash if nothing dramatically changes here in the next handful of months. So that is part of the problem here. That is all integral to the, the difficulty that uh, all the parties are trying to resolve here behind the scenes. And, uh, uh, you know, we'll see here to what extent that his reporting on this issue is correct and whether this is only one out of many other types of proposals that are on the table somehow, but uh, this certainly sounds like uh, the um, uh, large company equivalent of, of a home short sale. I I look at this and I see it's all a little bit sort of diverting. We we see Elon uh, having all these business and legal troubles, and then uh, it's almost like they're waving at us and saying, "Look over here! Look over here! There's a new Model Y coming. There's a factory in China. There's a new truck coming." But the truth is they need significant amount of money to make any of these things actually happen. Well, Tesla always has a lot of things on the come. The solar roof, there's battery storage here, there's a semi-truck, there is a good old-fashioned American pickup truck coming at some point. There is a roadster coming at some point. And, of course, before most of those things, there is the Model Y, which is obviously the center of market vehicle that, by all means, would be the kind of product of which Tesla would probably sell the most if it had it available right now. So Tesla always has a lot of products that it could be making, but, you know, they need factories to make these products. And to build factories, you need two things. You need money and you need time building these factories, depending on the nature of them, a battery factory versus an auto assembly plant is anywhere from two years and up. And they need many, many billions of dollars. And their problem right now is that they need many, many billion dollars to pay back their loans and their debts that are coming due in just a small handful of months. So thinking about some factory here or there or elsewhere, uh, that that's a luxury that they can talk about, but there's nothing really to be done in the near term because they just don't have the cash as of the present moment. Elon's just really good at pulling rabbits out of his hat, though. Every time we get to a certain point in time and history, he has to manage to do something. I mean, it was a lot of times it's diversion, right? Because he talked about having to make 5,000 vehicles a week. Well, uh, they made it for one week only, which was a little suspicious, but now you know, if we look at sales figures for the last few months, it looks like 4,000 a week is as many as they can produce. At the moment, that's correct. So in the past, up until uh, the last couple of years or so, the problem was solved rather elegantly by simply raising more equity. And that is, uh, you know, something that uh, could be done. And there were no issues with the SEC and there were willing investors and uh, the sky was blue and there you could paint a big picture about some things that were, were supposed to happen a year or two down the road. And in fact, it took three or four years to happen. But nevertheless, you raise the money. And as long as you don't have debt 
you know, it's, you, it kind of works. But, but debt has a different characteristic than equity. Debts come due. They need to be paid back. They're not permanent capital. So at some point when you start putting yourself into debt, you reduce, I mean, as, as soon as starts, things start going against you, um, you, your options become very constrained. And that is what is different now compared to, say, two or three or four years ago when Tesla had, you know, they always said, well, we're going to be profitable in a quarter or two. And then they just went back and said, well, okay, we'll raise another billion or two. We'll raise another billion or two in equity. But equity does, does never have to be paid back. And as long as you had investors who were just happy to be part of the dream that worked, but that—that that is the situation that is so different now from if we look back two or three or four years ago. It's easy to pick holes in Tesla. It's the it's the low hanging fruit. It's easy to go punch uh, Elon in the gut. It's easy to talk about the negatives, but the truth is there are some positives in this story as well. Elon has a great product. It's pretty well known that uh, he's revolutionized the way electric cars could be made and built. The fact is that a lot of other companies have been stimulated by what Elon has done. He's revolutionized the way that cars have been bought and sold and serviced. It's not always worked well, but it's a different model than anybody has used in the past for such a big company the fact is he's just poor at doing the production and he's poor at i guess meeting a lot of the promises that he's made financial and not financial so the fact is there's still some equity in the customer there's equity in the uh in the design and the engineering of these products it looks like it might be a good plan for somebody like Apple who have a lot of disposable income, Microsoft or, or Google, to come in and just buy the company and make it work. Somebody that's able to produce the things that he's not been able to do, that's been able to patch the holes. So why isn't somebody sitting at the door with a checkbook and saying, I'll buy what you have? Oh, I think they are looking at that, and I think they would be very interested in purchasing these assets out of, uh, you know, once the slate has been uh, wiped uh, clean. You know, when, you are, when you're seeing a, uh, a neighbor's house that you think is wildly overvalued, but you kind of know that there's a high probability that they may go essentially bankrupt them before close soon, so you can get that $10 million house for a 600,000. Uh, you might be interested in that house indeed when it is 600,000. So I do think that you have many of these potential buyers who are willing to take some of these assets. I mean, we already know that Panasonic, they have an agreement with Tesla whereby if Tesla goes belly up in, in almost any manner whatsoever, they essentially take the factory in Nevada. Uh, and of course, the lenders, Deutsche Bank and others, they already have the factory in Fremont essentially as collateral. So the bank kind of owns that. Uh, so ultimately, what do you really buy from the company? You buy the chief designer, Franz, who of course is a very talented designer, you could probably hire him if you paid him $20 million. Forget $20 billion or $60 billion for the company. Just pay him $20 million. I'm sure he'll leave. So you have, you know, these assets, the question is, how do you get to the most effectively? And Tesla also has a bunch of liabilities that are not directly financial in nature because they are 
uh, almost like legal liabilities. For example, the promise that every single car that they have made since October of 2016 is going to be capable of level five uh, fully driverless uh, capability. And so at some point, of course, they haven't come even remotely close to delivering on that yet. And at some point, at least in theory, if let's say that you're Apple or Google or somebody, you buy Tesla as it stands today with all of those liabilities on board. And then the owner sue you and say, look, I bought this car that the seller promised that it was going to be capable of level five. You haven't delivered. Now, Tesla couldn't sort of buy, buy my car back because they were broke. But you, Apple, you, Google, you have to buy my car back. And if Tesla has to buy back and then their new owners, be it an Apple or a Google or anybody like that, has to buy back over 300,000 cars for God knows how many tens of billions of dollars, that might not be a situation that they would like to get in front of. They would rather have the company wiped off off its slate all of those uh, intangible liabilities and then come in after and buy the assets for a song. I really want to hear from the shareholders, let alone the community. I know there's several people like Teslarati and Electric who are still writing these articles on the Model Y and they're still writing these articles on the Roadster saying it's coming. How can they even believe that when he is literally bleeding money on a daily basis? Well, I mean, you have to understand, I, mean, I give them a lot of slack on this. I mean, there's no question in my view that both the Model Y and the Roadster are going to be both beautiful and lovely cars that are going to perform brilliantly. I have no doubt whatsoever about that. Just like the Model 3 is a lovely little car that uh, performs, you know, very admirably in a variety of vectors. Uh, the products are good. They're thrilling. They have great software. They're kind of fun. They're very different. It's a very different experience, and you can see it in the sales numbers right now when they are completely wiping equivalent products from Mercedes and other companies just off the table, basically, at least here in the short run. Um, so, you know, they come at it from an enthusiast standpoint. They are not uh, accountants and, you know, uh, balance sheet analysts or anything of the kind. So that is not their gebit. That is not what they look at. So I, I can certainly, uh, you know, understand that they're looking at it really from a product enthusiast standpoint. And uh, certainly there's a lot to like about the product, both the current and whatever future uh, products that the company may come up with if they uh, survive this whole uh, trial and tribulation. Every day, uh, Anton, I, I think that maybe he's a genius. And then 20 minutes later, I'm questioning whether he's a uh, He's a little bit crazy. Anton Wallman is our expert investor. He's an independent investor and analyst, and we're talking about Tesla. Anton, where can people read your stuff? I write primarily for a site called Seeking Alpha, and I also write for a site called thestreet.com. All right, you can read Anton's stuff there, and we'll keep up to date and abreast with all the things that are going on. Elon Musk's story has many more chapters to be written, and especially in the next two months, we'll find out if he makes the financing or not. Listening to our auto expert, I want to thank uh, Gresham for uh, Police Department from Gresham, Oregon, for being here and uh, spending the day with us on the show. I also want to thank uh, Ryan, uh, Jen, and Megan for being in the studio. You can find our material. Uh, Material at uh, ourautoexpert.com. Every show we've ever done there is on also on Podbean. Plus, we're there all the social media. I'm Nick Miles.